I want to close up with last week's sermon. The world ain't all sunshine. Try that again. I'm going to close up with last week's sermon because God's spirit moved and we're going to continue to experience this. And here's what it says. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul. As you know from the providence of Asia, many from the providence of Asia have deserted me, even Phygelus and Hermogenes. Why would anybody desert the Apostle Paul? Like did God move away from him? Did something happen with Paul? I don't think so because his actual letter is in the Bible. What he was writing, God didn't move. What happens is people move. Everybody say people. People, people move. And what happens here, Paul is going to show us in the next sentence why many deserted him and why we struggle in our faith sometimes. He says, may the Lord know special uh, kindness to Onesiphorus. And all of his family, because he visited, he often visited me and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. The apostle Paul was being, was ashamed. People were ashamed of him. Because what he has done has led him into chains. And now, he's like, where does everybody go? But what he writes is still in the Bible. Very powerful. When he came to me, he's talking about Onesiphorus. He, he came to Rome. He searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you, and, uh, you've, you know very well how much he helped us in Ephesus. Today, we begin a new chapter and journey. We are going to try and continue to fight the good fight. And we're going to pray online. We're going to pray outside. And we're going to pray indoors that God will meet us right here. So let's pray. Father in heaven. Your presence is more worthy than anything else that we can have. Don't just speak to us, Lord. Be here with us. Don't just uh, uh, show us a Bible verse or a song that we really like, but be here and rest upon us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you move in such a way that there's healing in the name of Jesus, that there's repentance in the name of Jesus, that there's transformation in the name of Jesus. And I pray right now that person that wants to click away, that they stay and are captivated by your presence, Lord. And we ask, Spirit, that you move outside. It's a little brisk. And we pray that you stay and rest so that we can experience the goodness. The Bible says, taste and see, Lord, the goodness. And Lord, let that be here today as we fight this good fight. And we pray this and ask that God moves powerfully in the name above all names, Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. My buddy in Mexico would say, amen, amen, and amen. So let's start. We're fighting the good fight. We're trying to dig in and understand what God is doing and what God did last week. Last week, I don't know if you guys were here, so let me explain. We had what we call a charismatic moment in church. And it was good, powerful, but it was also uncomfortable. And so what happens is, is when we have a charismatic moment, maybe everybody's not familiar with it, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about what God did. There was a little bit of uncomfortableness, and even for myself, and here's why. Because we went over time, and I hate to take up people's time, but let me ask you this. When's the last time you gave God an extra 20 minutes? When everybody's heart sinks. Because we're not willing to give an extra 20 minutes so that I get my cheeseburger or my pizza or get the first in line to Cracker Barrel or wherever you're heading. 
uh, Toppers isn't paying me enough anymore, so I'm looking for new stuff. <laughs> We're in negotiation, so I'm kind of putting them on the side. But let me ask you a, a, again, and I want you to really think, when's the last time you gave God 20 extra minutes? It was about 12.50 when we ended, and trust me, that was the uncomfortable part because I don't want to waste your time, and I want to make sure that your time is valuable. But we had visions, we had healing, we had uh, just great things, but we also had some confusion, and here's why. There's really three types of churches, and I'm being, giving you a very basic, generalistic idea of how the churches are. First of all, there's one that's a charismatic church, and that charismatic church, they believe in the Spirit, they worship. If you've ever been to it, they're worshiping for at least an hour. That's just to get started. That's like the appetizer. And they worship for about an hour and then they get up and do announcements and then they worship another 20 minutes and then they give an announcement for the offspring and then they worship and then they get up and, and so they're filled in the spirit. They're led by spirit. And then on the other side over here, they're what we call the, the church that believes in the Bible. And it's not that that church doesn't believe in it, but there's just like the holy word and the holy movement of God only comes from the word of God. And it's, it's a traditional church. That's just what they do. They, they don't work in the spirit necessarily. They just want to say, hey, the Bible, every time you open up the Bible, that's the Holy Spirit working, right? And that doesn't mean that either side is bad. It's just who it is. And then there's this middle section that we've seen expand in the last 30 years. And they're about salvation, and salvation alone. And so they come up here and that centerpiece is like, Jesus is my superhero and he does everything and he holds them and there's nothing wrong. All of them have a part in the kingdom of God, right? And so as I'm explaining that, we were talking about it in our staff meeting this week, just how powerful it was. And I remember Tara, our worship leader saying, I don't wanna be labeled. And if you've been here from the beginning, if you've been here at all the last few months or years, you see that we love the word of God, that we believe salvation is real and, and valuable, but we also aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. We've been experiencing the Holy Spirit for years because this church is led by the Holy Spirit. But last week we had some more of what we're used to. A little bit of tongue was spoken on stage and there was this movement of God and there was some uncomfortableness. But I promise you, when I saw our leaders crying and tearing and everybody came and danced and celebrated, it was something that I've never seen before at this church. It starts a new place for us. And that doesn't mean we're gonna turn into anything more or less than who we are. We are gonna follow the gospel and where God is moving us. Sometimes we struggle with the Holy Spirit, and I think about this a lot, church. I think about this a lot, and here's a couple of reasons why the working of the Holy Spirit is, is a struggle. Number one is this church over here believes that the Holy Spirit ceased operation. It gives a verse in the Bible and says, well, it stopped. Well, why would God give me a gift that stops? I don't believe in that. I, I know the scripture. I believe in the scripture. I think it said something else. I don't believe God would give me a gift that stops. God said, I'm going to give you a gift. And it's the Holy Spirit. And it's a counselor. And it's the power of God. And it's not going to stop. If anything, it's going to get stronger because he says greater. You're going to see greater things by just humans until Jesus comes back. So one of the reasons that we struggle is a lot of churches, about 30, 35% of the churches believe that it's ceased, it doesn't work. And so when the Holy Spirit is moving, people get uncomfortable going, is this real? Is this what God is doing? The second thing that we struggle is this. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a service. I have, and, and there's this like, man, something's going on in my heart. There's a little bit of conviction. There's something that I gotta, I'm wrestling with in the spirit. And I'm like, man, I still got to work on it. And when you get to a place of healing, it's uncomfortable. When God is saying, Jeff, I need you to walk away from this or I need you to cast this out. I need you to repent this. I need you to get on your knees and wash it. There's this moment where, man, I don't really like that. It reminds me of my mom a couple months ago. She called me when the doctor told her that she needed to have a hip replacement, just like my friend Mickey, who's getting back to health. And, and my mom, when she called, she was scared because she knew what it was going to take to go through a hip surgery and the healing and the cutting and all of that stuff that happens, right? But today, it's happening on Tuesday. Today, she's excited. She's ready. There's a lot of pain, right? Pain is the great motivator. But sometimes when the Holy Spirit brings us to healing our inner selves, it's uncomfortable. And I think we saw a little bit of that. And here's the last one. I think this is the one that, that most of us kind of struggle with and wrestle with. As we just don't understand. We're just like, what the happened over here? And we struggle because I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I want to know everything. Tell me everything. Don't leave out any detail, right? But what happens is God is telling us, hey, I want to tell you so much, but you guys will jack it up so I can't tell you anything. <laughs> so we struggle sometimes with God just moving and we're uncomfortable. And so listen, we are going to be a church that follows under the cloud and covering of God. Wherever he takes us, whatever he wants to do, we are going to celebrate that. And this happened, uh, so let me give you two examples of what the, the Holy Spirit and the uncomfortableness. Number one, in the book of Acts, they were in the upper room, right? That's the new, uh, our, Kim was talking about, that's our new group. They were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit descends, uh, just like it did last week, and they come out, and they walk out into the streets, and they're talking and jabbering and looking ridiculous, and people are like, dude, are you guys drunk? It's nine. And Peter's like, he has to go and explain like I'm explaining what happened. Now, he's like, you can't get drunk at nine. I'm like, well, I, I could. <laughs> That's why I don't drink. Uh, but Peter comes out and does an explanation like I do. But listen, people weren't comfortable with it. It was awkward. It was weird. These holy people that are following this guy, Jesus, that's a criminal, and now we're walking around looking like a bunch of fools. And the spirit descended and people were uncomfortable. It was awkward. And then this week, my wife was driving and she called me on the way to work. And she's like, I'm listening to Revelation right now. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It was a spiritual revelation from heaven. And it's awkward. If you read after chapter four and five and six and who's the great prostitute and what's going on and how is the horses coming into play? It's awkward and uncomfortable. And if you read that book, you start to get these weird feelings because that's the spirit telling us we've got a lot of work to do. We've got to repent and we've got to learn to restore the kingdom of God to where it was so that we can rejoice and live for the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to do today. We were at a, a church conference. All of our staff went to a church conference a couple weeks ago. And a guy named Larry Osborne, he actually coached us in 2018. Our board brought in a coach and he was coaching our staff and he drew a picture. And here's the first part of the picture. The first part of the picture is the church in 2019 and they were trying, everybody at this conference was all pastors and staff and they were talking about if we could just get back to 2019, right? 
We would be healthy. The church would be back to normal. We'd couple services and all these things that are happening. But there's this, there's the church of 2019 and we were on this road, the road, the Romans road to heaven, so to speak. And so we thought this was good. This was God. This is where we were going. But then what happened in 2020? COVID comes. And all of a sudden, the road was destroyed and church was online. And for the first six, six or eight weeks, it was powerful. People were worshiping in homes like they'd never worshiped before. And then I was like, as, as church got kind of set apart and everybody kind of went their own ways and we've got a lot of people online today because of COVID and we're grateful for you online community. COVID comes in and it wrecks the concept of, of how church was. And I used to get super mad and go, man, COVID destroyed us. But really, this week God said, COVID actually shifted the church so that we can be where God is because that road was man-made, not God-made. And now in 2022, the next picture, there's a cloud and God has moved. And the church has moved away from God just like people have deserted Paul. And now we need to get under the cloud covering of God. And God is going to shift and move so that when we head to 2023, we will see the glory of God. And we are going to start by doing the good fight today. By opening up the text and letting the glory of God shine upon us. And here's the last thing you need to know. At 9 o'clock, we're going to be praying for every service. This week, we had a full house. And next week, we expect more. And we're going to usher in the presence of God, and we're going to get under that cloud. And we're going to watch God work and move in ways we've never seen before. Not because it's me or us or the worship. It's because that's where God is, and that's who God is. So that's where we stand today. And here's the essence of the message. If you're ready to check out and don't want to listen anymore here, I'll just give you the message up front. This is it. We are not called to just live for Jesus Christ. I checked a box, I got up some one Sunday and I prayed and I live for Jesus and I walk out of here and I just act like nothing's ever changed in my life. I just have Jesus. It's like an insurance policy. We're not called to that. I am called, I am called. I don't know about you, but the God that I know, he's calling me to faithfulness unto Christ. That means unto death. If I'm gonna live for Christ, I might have to go to a place that I might lose my life so that the glory of the gospel, gospel can transform everybody because of what happened to me. Isn't that what Paul did? He's on his deathbed or in his chains getting ready to die and he's writing us a book unto God saying I'm going to be faithful to the last moment of my life even if it means to death. And that's where we begin 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. Timothy my dear son be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who, who, have been, uh, who will be able to pass them on to others. So that's the beginning of our text today. 25 times in two books, 10 chapters, 25 times the apostle Paul says to Timothy, be strong, endure, persevere let the faithfulness that you have been given fan into flames your faith so that you can live for Christ 25 times what does a couple times mean it's very important 25 times it's a mandate 
And they're not talking, he's not talking about all the other books. We're just talking about what he writes here. 25 times he is told. And then he's challenging us. And here's a statement. I don't have it in the notes, but I want you to listen. When I stand on this statement, when I believe in this statement, when I live for this statement, I think that's what Paul's trying to get to. He says, this is a faithful statement. I'm a child of God. I have the love and favor of God, uh, even though I don't deserve it. Because... Of God's grace, I am a child of God. I have the love of God, I have the favor of God upon me, but I don't deserve it. And what he's saying here is God's grace and faithfulness builds up my strength. So I've got to believe. I actually don't like the word Christian because it means little image of Christ. I like the word child of God because a child of God means I'm going to make a few mistakes, but I'm going to be recorrected and directed towards God. Image of Christ, I look nothing like Jesus. I've got so much work to do. I've got so many things to delete off my Netflix account. You guys want to do that right now? The second part of the text talks about this trustworthy and you can actually define that in the Greek to faithful. Timothy is looking for trustworthy people that, that he can pour out sound doctrine. He's trying to build a leadership team. Trustworthy people. We've got community groups and we've got trustworthy people that we can pour sound doctrine in so when they meet, they give out this sound doctrine and that's what he's talking about. He is looking for people that have the quality of faithfulness. Do you have that quality? That's what we're going to. How do we become a true leader of God is I've got the qualities of faithfulness in my life. That I'm living in the strength of grace for the glory of God because I have the favor of God and I don't deserve any of it. When I understand that and it really becomes true, that's when I have the quality of faithfulness. He is not looking, Paul is not looking for the smartest person, the popular person, the strongest person, the most important person, the perfect person, or the good looking people. That's Hollywood. That's down the road, about 12 miles to Malibu. Paul's looking for the trustworthy, the faithful. That's the quality. And that's how he works and moves. Let's continue verse 3. He says, endure Suffering. This is a requirement. This is actually going to show a military command. Uh, the, 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 the Greek is written in a military form by Alexander the Great. This is actually a command. And a command isn't like, well, uh, maybe next year. Or I was a lot more obedient back then. It's actually a requirement that we need to endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers, if you're a soldier and you have the quality of faithfulness and you're living for the kingdom of God, here's what it says. Soldiers don't get tied up in affairs of civilian life. For they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Here's another uh, image. Athletes, they cannot win a prize unless they follow the rules. Hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labors. Think about what I'm saying, Paul is saying. And this is my favorite verse. This reminds me of, my, of, of um, the president of my uh, seminary college says, The Lord will help you understand these things. If you struggle with anything last week, ask God and see what he says. 
and then maybe come up to me and let's go have a cup of coffee and talk about it. But here's what I know. When I seek God and I ask God and there's something that I'm uncomfortable with, when I seek him and I ask him, he wants to reveal to me what I need to know. And the first thing I need to know, and I need to get away from the civilian affairs. These are some great images. And so here's what I want to do. We're talking about fighting the good fight. You guys ready? Let's start fighting the good fight. And let's look at what Paul says. As we're getting ready to fight spiritually, I actually need to lay the gloves down and take the mindset of a soldier. I have these dear friends and uh, their son just became, uh, graduated from the Navy and now had a basic training, uh, Connor Pingree. And mama, you know how mama, you know mama, how she loves their babies. She was talking to us at dinner a couple weeks ago and she was saying, he was different. My son who left a few months ago, now as he's gone through basic training was a different person. You know what he was different? He wasn't interested in civilian affairs. And every time he left the home, he had to put on his getup because he was about the military, not about civilian affairs. And she was like, he's different. He's not the same little baby that I left. He's changed. And that's what God wants. It's like, I just don't check a box and raise my hand and sing a song and think that I follow Jesus. I need to do the following so I can experience the glory. And I can't get into civilian affairs. That's not going to get me to the glory that God wants to get me to. There's more to it. That's what he's saying. And I, I, there's this place in, in uh, 2 Corinthians that talks about taking these thoughts, these civilian mindsets and getting rid of them. And here's what Paul writes about this. He says, we are human, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 5. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. Whatever war you're raging, you've got to get out of the human way of doing it. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of all human reasoning and destroying false arguments because the enemy wants to bring all kinds of falsehoods upon you and your person and your family and your walk with God. He wants to destroy that. And so you've then got to fight a different type of battle. He says we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We destroy it. We walk in the name of Jesus and says, I'm going to quit fighting this battle worldly and I'm going to start fighting it spiritually with spiritual weapons. And then it says this, and then we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them obey, to obey Christ. I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to let that hold me back. I'm going to take it and shun it and let it, let it rest in God's hands, and it's not going to hold me back anymore. The second part talks about an athlete. An athlete can't win unless they're obedient to a rules. A gymnast can't land outside of bounds and win the competition. There's probably someone that's going to land inbounds and they're actually going to have a higher score because they landed out of bounds. Just like a golfer can't hit a golf ball that's out of bounds into play and score the hole. You actually have to take a penalty. A basketball player can't shoot out of bounds and shot, shoot the winning shot. Just like soccer, baseball, you actually have to be obedient to the rules to receive what most of your translations say, a crowns of righteousness. I've got to play within the rules. And that's what he talks about. And then the last one, he talks about uh, farmers. Do you, does anybody know a farmer? I got a, one of my best friends is a farmer. And they are extremely faithful. And that's all Paul is trying to let you know. Farmers are extremely faithful. Part of their business plan is to be faithful that God, there's going to be rain and water and sun. 
and a harvest at some point. And he says this, farmers are faithful and if you're faithful, you should receive the first fruits of that faith. That's what God wants for us. Verse, uh, verse 8, always remember that Christ Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. Who, who believes in the resurrection? Yeah, and the resurrection is raising someone up today away from their old self and into a new self. That we believe that through the line of David there is a Savior and that Savior comes and he is the gospel message that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and that we can be resurrected into a new life. And he says this, he says, and because of the, this is the good news I preach and because of this preaching this good news I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. What are you suffering in your life with regards to the gospel and the good news? Are you suffering at all? Uh, not in California, not in this country, because we're not necessarily suffering like other people. Do you know the church in Mexico basically during COVID was destroyed? They don't have Wi-Fi like we do. They can't watch a message online. The pastor was getting like one or two people watching with his church of 150 people. My sister would go down and they were just struggling. And thankfully, we were able to give a little bit of money just to keep them alive. We're not suffering. Some of us are, but not like we should be for the gospel. Here's what he says, but the word of God cannot be chained. Everybody say can't be chained. You have the gospel and if you are locked up in your own head and in your own life and you can't see the glory of God, open it up and let the word, not the logos, this thing is the logos, but when you open it up, there's the rhema, the word that starts to sink into your heart and it starts to change you so that it can't be unchanged. When I open this up, every time I get tingled by it because this is God's word, this isn't my word. When I close this book, I'm just an addict on stage. But when I open it, I have the power of God and whatever word he gives is a word I can give. And then I don't just look like an addict. I look like a vessel for the kingdom of God. This word cannot be changed. So he says, so I'm willing to endure anything. Anything. If it will bring salvation and an eternal glory to Jesus Christ to those that God has chosen. Are you willing to endure anything? Being cussed at and mocked at and told you're a Christian freak and that you're, you believe in a, a bloody God that just wants blood sacrifices. That's what my friends tell me. And I'm like, yeah. His blood is beautiful. And it changed me. And it saved me. When Paul writes this, he is shackled. And every time he's writing or dictating to someone, he hears the chains and he smells the stinky Roman soldier that he's chained to. And he's writing, he's like, you can change me, you can chain me, but you can't change the word of God. So why do we do it? The Bible has been attacked more than any Bible or any book in the world. 
In, in history, no other book has been treated this way. It's been burned, it's been banned, it's been mocked, it's been twisted, it's been ignored, it's been rejected, it's been misquoted. It's used all the time to help people uh, go against Christianity. And here we see that it's, it, it, it's something that people can make fun of. But you know what the Bible says? The word of God stands forever. And here's what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. He spoke and lived in the spirit of God. The spirit would come upon him and he would speak about future things. And this prophet gets up and says, here's the word of God. Isaiah 40 verse 8, he says this. He says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Forever. When I die, the word of God still stands. When you die, the word of God still stands. When new Jerusalem comes down and meets this earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth, guess what? The word of God stands for ever. That's what I have my faith in. Because I don't worry about these civilian things. And trust me, I say that like, oh, I'm some powerful guy. I was crying this morning worrying about civilian things. Verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a call to faithful saying. This is now the fourth time in the, 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 the book that talks about this is something that you need to know and hold on to. And here's what he writes. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And if we are faithful, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. Now in my Bible, this actual writing is set apart different texts than all the other texts around it. Do you know why? Because in the middle of Paul writing this letter, in the middle of being shackled up, he starts singing a hymn that all the Christians would sing. Christ is my firm foundation. He's starting to worship in the middle of this letter saying, this is who I stand and he won't ever fail me. Because as he's writing, he realizes, hey man, I feel the Spirit of God taking over and allowing me to worship. And trust me, I don't sing good. But I'm not afraid to sing in front of you and God because God hears it as beautiful melody to his heart. And so here we see him in a place of worship, standing on the firmness of who God is and saying, great is thy faithfulness, and here's what we need to know. And here's the first part of the hymn. It says, if we die with Christ, we are promised the resurrection. If I let my old self die, and somebody here has an old self that needs to die, that keeps rearing its ugly head, and all you got to do is come before God and let that old self die. If I let that old self die, I rise in Christ, and I reign with him, and I live with him, because I'm resurrected in him. The second part says, if we endure hardship... If I am faithful till the end of time, if I have the qualities of faithfulness, there's an eternal reward, which is to live with him forever. Not just on earth, not just in my home, not just in the place that I live now, but I have a place with him forever. But if we deny him and who he is and what he's done and what he commands us to do, what would you do? I'd deny that person too. God's not afraid of pushing the boundaries and saying, you know, live for me or don't. It's your choice. 
But don't feel weird when you get to the pearly gates and you're denied. Don't feel weird. Feel like this is your, this is your history. This is your, this is your destiny because that's what you choose. And finally he says, even if I fail, even if you fail, even if I become faceless, faithless, I can turn my back on God. Even if I walk away, the characteristic of God's faithfulness can never change. That's who he is. There's nothing that we can change about that. And his faithfulness doesn't change even if I walk away and I become faithless. Verse 14, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Do you guys feel the presence? Do you feel the presence online? Stop fighting. You feel it outside in that cold, brisk air this morning? Stop fighting. It's a command. It's not from me. I don't have that kind of strength. I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Just kind of make it a little softer. God's command says this. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. We are known about what we're against as Christians about and not what we're for. We hear it all the time. And everybody's like, yes and amen and hallelujah. But then we go out and continue to use words to tell people what we're against versus what we're for. I am for the love of God and the, and the, and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And even when I want revenge and the things to be righted, I've got to trust that the love of God and the mercy of God is going to transform them like it did with me. 20 years ago, you guys wouldn't want me in church. You would be calling the police. Because Christ wasn't my firm foundation. There was a different rock that I was focused on. Verse 15. This one really hit me hard. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the truth. This is the one that hit me really hard. After I received faith, this is not about faith. He's talking about to a Timothy, a leader who's a pastor. After you have faith, work hard. Like, work hard. Well, what does that mean? I got to do more. I got to suit up. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's like work hard for a couple of things. And I wrote down like 20 things that I need to work hard on. And here's what they are. I, I didn't write them down. I'm just thinking about them. It's like, know God. Do I know God enough? Do I know enough that he is faithful even when I am unfaithful? Or he is faithful when I'm living in fear and I could just believe in him and know him and that will carry me past this fearful feeling that I'm having right now? Know God. Trust God. Do I trust him that he's going to have a home for me until eternity and through eternity and for the rest of my time on this earth and beyond do I trust him like that am I listening am I following am I really working to know him and it's not me getting up and doing oh I'm going to start a seven day bible study that's not what I'm talking about 
Like work to know him, to love him, to grow, to listen, to heal, to ask for forgiveness, or give grace and mercy so that they that need grace and mercy can feel the love of God and go, why are you giving grace and mercy? I'm expecting fisticuffs and you're giving me favor. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godliness behavior. When my sister joined our staff a couple years ago, she's like, this staff is ridiculous. You guys got to get rid of this useless talk. And I'm like, oh, Kim, how dare you? That's the best part of our staff meeting. <laughs> she's such a buzzkill, dude. Come on. <laughs> now we don't know what to do. We have nothing to do for two hours. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Uh, this kind of talk spreads like cancer. Exactly what my sister said. Hey, you guys aren't building each other up. You're making fun of and, you know, having fun with each other, but it's not building up. It spreads like cancer. As in the case of uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned away some people away from faith. They're basically saying, hey, don't come to church. You guys have all missed it. The resurrection's done. Well, what do you think that'll do to church? Well, why would I be here? I might as well go to the beach and get in line at breakfast cafe or wherever you're going to eat because we missed it. And so they're actually teaching idle behavior, false truth, saying, hey, this is what we're doing, and there's no reason to celebrate and worship. Idle talk draws people like you and me away from God, and faithful people start to become faithless because all they hear is this kind of idle talk. And it spreads like cancer. I, I hate cancer. I hate it because cancer destroys people and destroys lives. And God's not a destroyer. God is a builder and a creator. And God wants healing in the name of Jesus right now. Verse 19. But God's truth stands on uh, like a foundation stone with this inscription. We just sang a song about a firm foundation. And God's faithfulness is like this stone that's inscripted with these words. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. I don't know about you, but most of the evil that I need to turn away from is inside of me. It's not outside. It's not what I'm watching on news, which I'm not watching. It's not what I'm receiving from uh, my social feed. It's the stuff that's in me. That's the stuff I got to worry about. When I write the evil in me, I have the ability to talk about the evil with other people because the purity of God will start flowing from my life. Men like Hymenaeus and Philetus made dangerous decisions like me saying, hey, there's no reason to celebrate. The resurrection's come. They have destroyed the church and many fell. And today many are falling away from church because we aren't giving this message that God stands no matter what happens in this world. 
And when we rest on that and believe in that and don't rest in any human or civilian affairs, we become the presence of God and the essence of God. And people then draw near to that and say, that's where I want to be. That's the community I want to be about. God has a plan and a purpose. God has a strategy. And it's not going to fail. It's not going to fall. We sang a song, he won't fail. If you sang that song, he won't, then he won't. But it's not because you sang it, it's because it's who he is. That's why he won't fail us. He might feel like he's failing you, but I promise you he's not. And sometimes it takes a long time to get to that victory, right? And everything else was unjust, but we finally get righteousness because God doesn't fail us. And there's many times we want to give up and just, I was going to say, F everything and run, but I can't say that at church. Forever. Forever. Yeah, that was the word I was thinking. Thank you. <laughs> Verse 13 says, if, he, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Right? We just read that. Verse 20. In wealthy, uh, in some homes, uh, in wealthy homes, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. The cheap ones are used for every day. If you keep yourself pure, you will be, used, uh, be a special utensil used for honorable use. For your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. There are some things that are made specifically for a king. I'm just going through the Old Testament, and I just went through last week uh, Solomon and all of his glory. They built all these cups and things for the temple. It was wonderful. They were fit for the temple and fit for a king, but not all temple, not all pieces are fit for a king. And there's a picture of uh, we're a, bu- a bunch of us are going to Israel, and in one of the museums, they've got some artifacts facts that are of, of special value that were used in the temple and they were used for holy use and we are to be that temple I mean we are we are the temple and we are to be fit to to be used for holy use these are beautiful artifacts and we are to be holy so that we can be whole of the holy use and how do we do that well Paul gives us this challenge of cleansing to join in with God and he gives us two aspects he says in this text he's talking about to be used as honorable use you need to be clean the first aspect is to come as we trust in Jesus and his work on our behalf the work of cleansing is really God's work it's not your or my work there's nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. It's not my work, it's God's work that cleanses us. The second part is God wants then us, our will, to partner with his will, to participate in what God is doing. God wants to change you, but you've got to have a willingness to want to be changed, to be open to what God is doing. And the second aspect of cleansing is like, if you want your heart and mind to change, you've got to lay everything down and let me cleanse you and heal you. And here's what he says. This is a verse that shows the partnership. 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, that's me partnering with God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. All I've got to do is come up and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm a loser, and I need help, and I want you to join in with me and partner with me. And then God says, beautiful, now you're ready. Let me heal you, let me change you, let me grow you, and, let you, and, and then you can experience what he has. Verse 22, it says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living. 
faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. We need to commune with like minds. Our community groups that are happening throughout the week are like-minded community groups. We're gathering around and we're celebrating. If you're not in one, join one next week or next semester in January. They're really powerful. And this is a simple command. Flee your lustful use. What does that mean? It means quit acting like a teenager when you're 50. Or 30. Or 70. Or, yeah, let's go 75. Any 75? We got 77. 77? (laughs) 80, 81? Basically, he's saying, don't entertain these youthful things that we used to do. Don't challenge them. Don't try and endure them. The idea of that I can test myself on these is ridiculous. For me to test a little shot of tequila at lunch today when I'm having a taco makes zero sense to me. Because it's not going to help me. It might be okay for you, but it's going to take me out of the will of God. And it's going to be an obstacle that's going to destroy what I have in my life today. So I, there's no reason to test that. Run for those, I, I, for those youthful lusts. I've already done that. And I know where it gets me. Locked up. Verse 23. Again I say, don't get involved in foolish and ignorant arguments that only start fights. This is the third time in seven verses. Third time in seven verses. That our words are not edifying, our words are destructive. Our words are not building people up, our words are holding people back. Our words are not helping us reach the world and loving them. Our words are saying, I don't want to be a part of them because they're judgmental. Our Our words are not healthy. Because they're our words. Because God's word says something contrary to what our words say. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be kind. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. How are they able to teach? Be patient with difficult people. How do you, are you able to teach? Be patient with difficult people. There's a bunch of difficult people in this world, in this city, in this state, in this country, in this church, outside, online, outside in the park, in the poor dog park. They don't even know it. Be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. This is the best part. Gently instruct those. Gently, with grace and mercy, instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. They will change the way they live and they change the way they think and they will open up the Bible and start living that life and, 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 and doing the things that God wants to do. It says they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. And they will be held, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. We know that. But we're not doing that. If you're gentle and you're kind and you're faithful and you give grace and mercy to those that don't deserve it, we are giving people the opportunity to give, to, to get what we've gotten. We were not called just to live for Christ. You can't just click a box and think that that's all I've got to do. You might make it to heaven, but it's going to be by the skin of your teeth. 
We are called to faithfulness unto death. Where do you need to die in your life to today? What's holding you back? What's holding us back? What thing, what element, what obstacles before you? We are called to faith unto death. And so something needs to die so that God can rise up in your life. And all I want today is for us to be under the cloud of God. I want to go to this picture. I want to be where God is. I don't care where the church is. I want to be where God is. Because if I'm with God, then I know the church is heading in that direction. And the glory of God and the cloud covering of God can minister to your heart so that you can see him. And that's where people are. Because here's what I know. When I feel the presence of God, it's easy to be faithful to God. When I don't, I'm not. But when I feel the glory of God, when I can see him, when I can hear him, when we have Holy Spirit moments that transform our church and those online and outside, we have the ability to experience God. His presence strengthens my faith. The last thing they said this week uh, when we were at the conference, they said, when we rest in him, the joy of the Lord transforms our church. So let's rest in him, church. Let's stand on faithfulness. And let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your love and mercy. We rest in you right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move so powerfully. Right now we feel the presence. And over the last, next few minutes, you bring people to repentance. You bring healing. You bring restoration. And more importantly, we celebrate salvation. If someone's here that doesn't know Jesus, we pray this prayer. And all you got to do if you're online or outside or inside is repeat this prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross for me and you rose so that I can live with you for eternity. Holy Spirit, help me learn to live a faithfulness life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.